What's up, Polo people? Welcome to another episode of the Northside Polo Podcast. We know you've been waiting for it, but uh, you don't have to wait any longer because we're here right now. I'm here with Alex. Hey, what's up? And Liam. Hey, I'm back. Yeah, he's back right for us. And let's just jump right into it, guys. we got a lot of news to get through. Liam, why don't you start us off with this first piece of news? Yeah, big news for me. I'm, uh, I've am i officially moved to the city of Montreal. I guess that makes me traitoro numero uno, as uh, Justin would probably say. And I'm sure we'll hear from him later in the episode. But uh, yeah, I'm now based out of Montreal. So I think this will give us greater geographic representation in the podcast because now we have a good even spread along uh, along the GTA or like corridor there. So I feel like on the one hand, we now have Toronto, Ottawa and Montreal represented on the podcast. And on the other hand, it's still just three dudes that started playing in Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is Sounds just perfect to me. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing with the with the folks here in Montreal, and um, I've uh, I've had some good we've had some good fun playing with them over the years. So, and of course, I'm not that far from Ottawa, so I'll be back to play and in Toronto as well. I'm sure I'll be not going anywhere. I'm not going to Yukon. Let's just say that. Unlike some people that I know. <laughs> yeah, don't want to lose anyone else to the to the, the White Horse Club. Yeah, I mean they, I mean it's a good club, but it's a bit too far for me. A bit too cold as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know what? It's pretty cool. Montreal is not that far from Ottawa and sure we'll be a little sad to miss you when you're not playing here, but I'm sure we'll have lots of opportunities to play with each other anyways, because I hope to travel a lot more to Montreal this year, especially just to get more pickup in. Hopefully they play on different nights than people in Ottawa. So I can just hop back and forth, you know, that'd be awesome. I'll be sure to lobby for y'all mm-hmm. to be able to come down, make sure it's different days. Next piece of news here. Big piece of news. Um, Alex, why don't you tell the people about this one? This is uh, the return of the website bikepolocalendar.com. It is back. It is up and running. I think this was originally set up uh, before COVID. And it's basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a bike polo calendar. Uh, It's a calendar of all the events. And I think we're going to try in the news to just run down some of the events that are on the calendar. Like, um, you know, polo's big, but it's not it's not so big that we can't at least cover some of the tournaments that are out there. And it's so cool seeing how many tournaments there are. Like, I think in Northsides, we kind of get, uh, you know, everything gets snowy and like polo basically stops for us. But it's really cool seeing on the calendar that there's actually tournaments still happening uh, just about every week, just about every weekend. A quick rundown. We have uh, January 21st to the 23rd in um, what is this? Where is this? Tasmania. Tasmania. Hobart. Yeah, it's called the uh, the Hotown Hoedown 8. Uh, Tasmania is a little, little bit far away for us, but uh, if anyone is attending that tournament, definitely send us an email. Let us know how it goes. That sounds like a good time. And then on the same weekend, January 22nd to 23rd, there's the Keen Merkin Polo. <laughs> American I think it's Kenya yeah, American. That's in Chile. That sounds that sounds more right. <laughs> that sounds better. And then at the end of January on the thirtieth, oh man, none of these are in English. Also, <laughs> uh, in Spanish, it's the uh, tour tornado random. Tornado random. Yeah. Tornado. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's that's in Mexico City. Tornillo. Tornillo. 
That's the Ciudad de Mexico. It's Mexico City. My limited Spanish. I think I know that. There we go. Yeah. So lots of tournaments coming up. Um, that's just January. That's just January. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to run through the whole calendar. Yeah. Well, it's being. I think it's being populated as it. You know. I think they recently just sort of got it back up and running. But it's a very sleek website. Like, it's very well organized and it breaks everything down by region. So it's it's. I'm really glad they got this up and running because it's a great resource. I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on North American tournaments that are within driving distance for me because I am down to travel and play some polo. I'm getting antsy. And I should say, if you're an organizer of a tournament, you can add your events. You just have to email them. Yes. With all the information and they'll uh, they'll add it. So it, as long as people do that for this uh, website, it'll be a very good resource because if it's not on here, no one's going to see it. I suppose it'll be on Facebook, but free marketing. Like check out the bipolarcalendar.com, send it in. The next piece of news I want to bring up is um Halloween seven video is officially out. If you YouTube the Halloween oh, seven video, um, I mean this thing sent ripples throughout the community when it dropped. <laughs> uh, it's just an outstandingly made video and so funny. I don't want to spoil too much about it, but I'll just say screw those pickleballers and <laughs> yeah. check out the video for yourself because this piece of work deserves your views and your likes and all your comments and admiration. Down with pickleball. And then we got some personal news coming in from Alex Lyon. What's this all about? The uh enforcer that I ordered arrived. Oh. So I I actually was just talking to Cam about how I'm gonna build it up. Everything fits. It looks so good. It looks so good. It looked like I think the uh, the paint that I ended up getting looks so much better in person than it does in photos, and it looks pretty good in photos. Yeah, the color scheme is the color scheme is really nice. Yeah, that front logo with the enforcer kind of bare with the mallets crossed, and then getting into the yellow with the silver. It's just a really nice color coordination, and I think. You couldn't have asked for better than that, Alex. And uh, more importantly, it's going to match the carbon rims I'm putting on it. Cool. So I was just just dropped everything off with Cam, and he thinks that the rims are actually going to work. I'm just I'm so excited, so excited to have this bike. It's going to be awesome. So so this makes you have you still have the T1 though, right? I do still have the T1. For the right now, I'm swapping a bunch of the drivetrain from the T1 onto this. Uh, so this is just going to be the polo bike. And I think the T1 is going to go back to being my commuter. Uh, though I live in the suburbs now and I can't bike anywhere. So mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. And I work from home, so I'm not really commuting. Spare on, bike. On the T1. Spare bike. I, you bring it in case the other yeah. one breaks. <laughs> yeah, full spare bike. I mean, I was actually trying to tempt, trying to tempt Cam to, uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to have the second bike. Like if you want to come to a tournament, I uh, I would love to get the honey badgers back together and cr- crush some crush some events. That's awesome! Yeah, that'd be so cool to play with Cam again. He's got such a hard rip. Oh yeah, he also donated a ton of his old mallets and stuff to the club. So we've got uh, we've got some goodies here. Um, just as I was, I, I dropped the bike off with him, and then he was like, "Oh, I got stuff. Take these." So rookie nice. players in Toronto, if you need a mallet, get at me. And thank you, Cam. That's awesome. Hey guys, this is Alex uh, just editing the podcast and we had a last minute email with some breaking news that we really wanted to include this week. We'll probably do a longer discussion next week, just going through a little more in detail because uh, I definitely want to hear Gavin and Liam weigh in on this. 
So April 8th to 10th, there's a bike polo camp happening in Dallas. This is the first bike polo camp for rookies. Maximum participation is capped at 30 and there's going to be a $100 registration fee. I imagine that's in US dollars for anyone from Canada planning to attend. Uh, the registration fee does include Friday party and pickup. Saturday, 9 a.m. start, where you break into small groups of five and you hone your skills with one of the coaches who I'll get to after. But uh, I am jealous of anyone who can get court time with uh, with these coaches. It's a pretty stacked lineup. Uh, you practice bike control, ball handling, protecting the goal, defense, court positioning, rippers, shooting, scoops, basically all the good stuff we talk about on the podcast. But you'll be learning it hands-on from one of the best players in North America. And then Sunday, you get a shuffle-style tournament where you get to put your new skills to work. Breakfast, lunch, and snacks are provided on Saturday and Sunday, including water and coffee. And a negative COVID test is required in order to show up and play just to keep everybody safe. So we'll try to add the link to our link tree. You can definitely check that out. This looks so cool and huge shout out to Bike Polo Dallas for putting an event like this on. I think we've talked about all these coaches before on this podcast, but uh, you should recognize their names. I'm not going to read out their uh, tournament hit list because uh, we would be here for too long, but the coaches are Arnold Francesco, Chris Hammersley, Diego Ayala, Pete Abram, and Tina Medley. There is a full page worth of tournaments that they've won between them, Uh, and I don't even think that's including Diego's now six, six tournament win streak. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I'm super jealous for anyone that is able to attend this. We'll definitely talk about this next time on the podcast with Gavin and Liam. But in case anyone is planning to attend, I just wanted to get this message out there as soon as possible. That is April 8th, Dallas Bike Polo. Check it out. Let's dive into the main topic that we're here to discuss this evening. And it's not really a happy conversation to have, I would say, but it's definitely a worthwhile discussion, right? And that is injuries. I mean, like any sport, or game that involves high speed and people moving and bodies turning, there's going to be some injuries and bike polo does not escape that trend. Some would even say perhaps that it is at the peak of that trend as far as injuries. Now, I I don't know. We'll talk more about that in a bit, but we'll start off with just the question like for each of us hosts, what's the worst injury you sustained playing bike polo? And just give us that little story. Who wants to go first? I guess I can go first. You probably have the most gruesome injury, so. Well, I guess I can say, because it happened recently, I fractured my scaphoid on my left wrist. Um, What's after that? Scaphoid is like the bone. It's sort of down by your thumb. Well, I'm showing on the video, but no one can see this. But that's um, how, It sounds like a skate company. Like, I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like they would have like sick trucks. I don't know if it's scaphoid or scaphoid, the proper pronunciation, but it's the bone. It's They said it's the bone that, breaks the most commonly when you fall on your hand like it's, oh is that the, the snowboarder injury you yeah. always hear that it's like snowboarders yeah. fall they put their hands out and they like yeah it's a foosh fall on outstretched yeah. hand so um i was playing polo and i was playing kind of fast and i ran into someone else and i fell and i put my hand out and yeah so i had to small it's like a hair oh, like almost a hairline fracture um but it put me out for like well, I should say it should have put me out for a while. Um, you didn't wait. Yeah, I didn't really wait. I should have probably waited longer, but I was put into a uh, splint for a while, and then I went to a full cast, and then I had a splint again, and it's healed up now pretty well. Like my wrist is good, and I yeah, it definitely was the serious. That was the first like broken bone I've had from playing bike polo, and it was uh, not fun. 
Yeah. I, I have a confession. I've never broken a bone. In your all. life doing anything? In, Whoa. In my life doing anything. I've never broken a bone. Not trying um, hard enough. Which is which which kind of means, you know, my uh my my most gruesome polo injury. Saddle sores. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really badly because I have dished out I've been involved in a lot of injuries oh and I've dished gosh. out some pretty gruesome injuries, but all accidental but i my most gruesome injury is honestly i think um the first three weeks that i played uh i jumped into a pickup game in saskatoon with mosquito i'd played for like two or three weeks i fell really hard in that game and just like sprained my elbow to the point that like two weeks later when i came back to ottawa i could still barely hold a mallet um i really wanted to still play like i was so hooked at that point that even though i could barely hold a mallet i was like still trying to play polo but the same night that I fell and sprained my elbow like that, uh, another, I don't even, I don't think it was one of the mosquito guys, but another player in Saskatoon, Bunny like sort of hopped next to me on like to play defense and his chain ring landed in my calf. Like it, oh. it went in. Um, and I, I have a little scar there from, uh, from where he jumped his chain ring into my, into my leg. Honestly, though, the elbow hurt way more, and I don't even think I noticed the the leg injury until afterwards. And I was like, "Oh, there's like a perfect three chain rings here, dude." I hope <laughs> you had like your tetanus shots and you cleaned that out because chain rings are not pretty. You know, they're they're pretty dirty. And oh, I I definitely cleaned it out when I got home. It's not a a polo related injury, but I do have 14 stitches in my left calf from where I was involved in a head on mountain biking accident and someone's rotor went into my shin yeah um so honestly this this chain ring scar is like kind of it's in the same place on my other leg as the 14 stitches so it really is pretty insignificant dang yeah they should really guard those rotors in mountain biking you know what do they do without rotor guards (laughs) if only there was some kind of technology you could get (laughs) not just Uh, the polo for me, I think I haven't had too many gruesome acute injuries when it comes to polo. I mean, in my second year of playing, I was training really hard and had my head down and rode into a tennis net. <laughs> I fondly remember that. Alex was there. Um, we were playing one-on-one. I was going for the ball. But uh, I sprained my wrist really bad. I went to the hospital to get x-rays. They said it wasn't broken, but I mean, I had a two-month recovery from an injury. So it was... It was a long time to be out with a sprained wrist, but I think some of my more serious injuries have been repetitive stress injuries, like repetitive strain, just from over-practicing and maybe not taking care of my body in the way that I should have, right? And I think that's something that a lot of polo players experience and is worthwhile to talk about. Like some of the common ones are like tennis elbow type of injuries. For me, I had... um, I die like my physiotherapist diagnosed it as Dequavens in, in um, Dequavens. Like it's like thumb tendonitis. It's a lot of uh, new mothers get it from holding babies at a certain angle. And I was one of the first um, non-parents that they'd seen with it, but it was just <laughs> from holding my mallet outstretched and having a lot of tension on that thumb ligament as it squeezes under the bone into your thumb. And from all the rubbing and back and forth of ball handling and the hours of practice I was putting in, it uh, really flared up and caused this repetitive stress injury. And you know, I think that's actually one of the the silver linings to COVID. Hearing you talk about that, like I actually used to my my mallet hand used to click whenever I like 
made a fist like I would around a mallet. Like my my <laughs> knuckles would noticeably pop into place. Like there was sort of uh and I was like, this isn't good. But being off the bike and not playing polo for so long, it's actually stopped. And I completely forgot about it until you were talking about uh your wrist injury. So I never got that diagnosed, but I'm sure that's a I'm sure that was something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's been one of the silver linings of the pandemic for sure is taking a bit more time off and rethinking my approach to training and to practice so that I can be playing this game for the next 20 years, you know, not the next five. And that's the ultimate goal is to play well into my 50s. So we'll see what happens, but uh, fingers crossed we'll make it. I should say all these like injuries, like I'm sure we like it goes without saying we've all had, you know, banged up elbows, skinned up knees, you know. I think every polo player can attest to the fact that something, you know, it's often the knees and elbows I find. And, I will uh, say like a lot of times in bike polo, we kind of say, Oh, you're going to get injured eventually. But compared to other sports, I've seen way less injuries in bike polo than I've seen in when I played ice hockey mm-hmm. or when I played, I played a bit of American football for a bit. And that was just like every game, someone was getting wheeled off the, the yeah. Cause we don't have that like grass we don't have the sort of same sort of dynamics in like football or soccer. Like I, I doubt you'd ever have anyone getting like an MCL tear or an ACL tear playing bike polo. Because uh, I've, I've seen people get carted <laughs> off of a tournament with a, a torn ACL. With a torn ACL? Bike polo tournament? But you're not, tournament. you're not yeah. having that sort of that. Shout out Shondell. Hope your recovery. <laughs> she, she recovered real fast, but. Um, okay. Maybe I should yeah, shut up. That was pretty cool. I talking about. <laughs> no, but I mean, it happens like injuries, bad injuries happen all over the place, you know, Certainly. but I, I think there is something to be said for, for bike polo. The contact in polo isn't as violent as it is in some of these other sports. Like we don't have a lot of those other sports, they have like padding and they have kind of like a culture around the violence within them. And there's a certain, in some ways it kind of normalizes like hitting in a way that is really kind of messed up for the sustainable, like long-term sustainability and like we just can't sustain that in polo like if if polo players got injured at the same rate as like even nba players like we wouldn't have any we wouldn't have any good teams left yeah but there's a big difference i think when you compare what is definitely an amateur sport like bike polo to a professional sport like uh, the NBA or the NHL, because the speed these players are moving, the size of their bodies and the amount of stress they're putting on their ligaments and ankles and all this stuff is it's completely just a different world. Right. Oh, for sure. But I would say even compared to like amateur ice hockey and American football in particular, the injury rate is way lower in bike polo. And maybe that's because the average player is a little bit older and a little bit more conservative, but yeah. Uh, yeah well, I think it's because, just the fact that the bike takes most of the beatings, you know, like from, from a lot of that sort of physical movement, the bike is the machine that's sort of separating you from that. Like in hockey, you know, you're using your body to, you know, check other yeah. players and, and the skates do don't absorb thing. much of the impact. No. And so in, in, in bike pull, you have this, you know, mechanical thing that's between you and the ground and you use that to your advantage, which arguably is like, you know, not as good for the bike, but better for your bodies. Yeah, how many how many wheels have we seen tacoed as opposed to legs broken? Yeah, exactly. True. Very true. <laughs> Very true. I will say one of the things I've noticed about polo injuries too, it's kind of like the the inverse of other sports. Most of the injuries I see happen are people that have been playing for one to two years. There's like a certain threshold where people are comfortable enough to start riding fast but maybe don't quite have the experience with like all the rotations and knowing being able to predict plays 
and maybe their bike handling isn't quite as refined as someone that's been playing for like five or six years but it's so rare when you get people past that like three year point if you play regularly for three years it's so rare to see an injury like it really is super rare i think most of the injuries i see are in that one to two year window it can make selling people on polo kind of difficult like hey come try this game you're most likely to get injured the first two years you try it <laughs> but i mean that that's just why that's why we do no contact at rookie night like it's oh, yeah. uh just just minimize the risk of people in that in that window but i don't know like i think there's there's something about learning to fall like once you get to that like more experienced play like i fall all the time and i know a lot of people fall uh you know we still crash but there's something to like not to make fun of you, Liam, but like not putting your hand out like that and just like learning to roll or, or learning, uh, well, I think that bail was and a, just stepping down. That was a real moment of like, stop trying so damn hard at pickup. Like doesn't really matter. Always try hard at pickup. Every Although, win matters. It, yeah. Liam. It's not, that's, it's that's not the a right thing, you know, doesn't matter if you get five owed. No, the problem there is you didn't fall properly. Not that you weren't trying hard. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta try hard. <laughs> well, I was, um, thinking about like, protective equipment again like for for the injury that i had i don't think the the protective equipment that would have been worn would be the wrist guards like this inline skate like the rollerblading or whatever yeah yeah Yeah, but those aren't really an option for polo because they kind of they get in the way of your brake hand right and the mallet Um, but just in terms of general protective equipment i've been thinking more about buying some elbow pads knee pads just for that just for those like you know those I would, I would guess I call them minor injuries, but they're just so annoying. Like when you take a fall on your elbow and then your elbow's all bruised up. Like, yeah, I hate when I've like just torn the skin and like, I'm fine, but it's like now my skin's bleeding and I'm like, (laughs) Oh, I just, I just want this thing to stop. Like, this is annoying. The pain doesn't even bother me that much. It's just like, okay, stop, stop bleeding. Stop. I mean, those, I would say those kinds of injuries are like kind of part of the cult. Like I'm thinking of the Halloween video again, like you saw how they, you know, they had the highlight reel of people's legs, you know, bleeding and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, that's sort of like, like it's sort of ingrained in the culture of bike polo. It's like, it's hardcore, you know, this is a, um, I I do want to say though, like, I think the injuries you're talking about, Liam, where you like bang that knee or you bang that elbow, like year after year, if you're doing that frequently, which, to be honest, if you're trying to get better at polo, you probably are falling, at least in practice, quite a bit as you try to learn new maneuvers. Like these things add up, right? And you can only bang your elbow so many times before you start to develop some more serious injuries like bone spurs and other things. I know I have some bone spurs, not from bike polo, from basketball of all things. But uh, it it makes sense, right? And maybe we should have this conversation. What kind of protective equipment would you recommend that players play with at pickup and in tournaments? And is there a difference there? I think everyone should have knee pads, elbow pads, and a helmet to start like when you're first starting. Cause like you're going to fall and you're going to hit your elbows and you're going to hit your knees. What about gloves? Oh, definitely. Sorry. Gloves too. Gloves. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, this seems like the most important one. <laughs> Yeah, glo- helmet well, and gloves. I think are the the baseline. Like, don't like. I would I would second guess. Like, I would offer a rookie my gloves and helmet if they're like, I'm just gonna try it on my own without these. I'd be like, no, 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 take this. Yeah, the gloves. There was a bad injury I saw. Um, I think it was. Is it Cato? Yeah, Cato. Player. Uh, classic. Yeah, I don't know if we have the photo, but they had a pretty bad uh, pinky. Like, basically broke at 90 degrees from a high stick, and I don't know if like thicker gloves would have i think he said in his post that thicker gloves would have helped i mean i've uh unfortunately 
broken someone else's <laughs> finger with my mallet uh and they had good gloves on it was just like the way the mallet came up and if your finger gets caught in the open end of someone's mallet yeah i mean it's so unlikely to happen but it's yeah freak injuries are going to happen though right like these things are going to happen they happen in every game if your finger gets caught in someone's scoop end and they don't realize it like that's you're in trouble regardless of what you're wearing but i'm thinking for the average player liam what would you recommend kinds of pads or protective equipment that they wear well i think what alex said like those like I, I'm, I'm like even now i'm like fuck why didn't i just get those earlier because it would have saved me a lot of pain and a lot of grief like i probably would have still had this injury i got now with those things but I would have saved so much pain of just like, like when I was trying to learn play clipped in and then like, you know, I was falling over all the time and just hitting that same right elbow and that, and the right knee, just hitting it all the time. And it was, it was like really hurting and I should have definitely had some, some sort of protective equipment and maybe the hip too, like a hip. Uh, yeah. I think that might be in the future. You can get those kind of like padded underwear that have just a thin layer of padding for your hip, especially if you're someone who's learning wheelie turns you're going to fall on your hip a bunch of times yeah. as you overdo it, right? That's over your elbow. Those are the two spots. But even for me, like going forward, I'm like, I want to invest in some nice protective equipment because uh, if I want to start playing, I wouldn't say a bit more physical, like maybe a bit more physically or a bit more intensely. And I want to get get like good at falling. Okay. It seems like we're all on the same page. Helmet, gloves, elbows, knees. I will uh, say, sorry, I just want to say the best equipment is the equipment that you actually use. Like if you buy the elbow pads and the knee pads, but then it's kind of a hassle to put it on like the straps or it, it's, you know, uncomfortable when it's hot. So you don't wear it if it's hot out. Cause then it gets too sweaty. Then it's, then it's worthless. Then it's just taking up space in your bag. And if, if you're not using it, then it, it's no good. Right. And like, for me, I've gone down, like I don't wear elbow pads when I play because I find I I just haven't needed them in so long. And even if things are getting physical, like I just, I'm not going to put elbow pads on. That's because you have the, you have the shooting sleeve. Yeah. That offers, <laughs> that offers plus 10 armor protection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And accuracy and accuracy. Yeah. Plus 20% accuracy. <laughs> I love this point though, because if you're not going to use the equipment, it's worthless. Right. And I've had that happen where I, when I first started playing polo, went on and bought some more like downhill style elbows and knees and they were just too bulky, and I thought they were a hassle. I didn't want to wear them. Also, the way they tied up on my elbow pads, they put a lot of pressure on my forearm, which caused like some forearm fatigue during the games. I've noticed this with a lot of pads, actually. If I do them up too tightly on my forearm, especially my stick forearm, my endurance with ball handling halves, and I have to loosen it up, and then sometimes it sags down. So it's really important to try things out with pads and maybe buy the more minimalist pads because you'll actually wear them than the bigger, more protective pads that are going to be a hassle. I think that's my big tip there. Yeah. One piece of equipment though, that I think people are very polarized on is the face cage. Mm, Mm. True. I have a face cage. I've played with a face cage before. Um, I took it off again. It comes down to that. Like the best equipment is the equipment you use. And I found that I played without a helmet on. If my helmet had a face cage, and because it was just but it was just so annoying and it's like oh i'm just i'm just warming up i don't like i'm just warming up so i don't want to put the face cage on like it's kind of heavy honestly the thing that really sealed it for me i was playing in a league night in toronto and i did a wheelie turn really fast this was like towards the end of the game i was just drenched in sweat and i had filed out the 
the bar in front of my eyes uh, from the face cage. And it turned out that I did this wheelie turn and my glasses perfectly shot through the hole that I had filed through the face cage and fell out anyway. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Why am I even wearing this thing? Like I, if I'm playing with glasses on my eyes, you know, obviously you don't want to take anything to the face, but like I have glasses on. So what am, what am I even doing with this face cage? Like, well, I, I you're don't, protecting I don't your teeth, it. Alex. That's you're protecting your teeth and your nose <laughs> and your jaw and these things. I mean, yeah. aren't those important to you too? They are actually, if we're talking about gruesome injuries, when I was, uh, when I was eight years old, I fell and I bit my tongue horizontally in half from the back <laughs> all the way. So I've got That's like, so gross, I've got 20 stitches on either side of my tongue and I had to relearn how to speak English <laughs> because I couldn't talk. Like, like, you're, like you cut, cut that explains it. Yeah. Oh, okay. no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That is gruesome as heck, but I got to say I'm on the complete other side of this face cage argument. I recently bought a new helmet that comes with a face cage and at first, I'm not going to lie to you, the first three weeks of pickup, I was, this thing is annoying as heck. I didn't file out any bars. I was like, I'm just going to try and see if I can learn to be okay with this. Because I know kids play ice hockey with this, and mm-hmm. it doesn't bother them. So I tried it on, and I first game, I was like, why am I sucking? It's this face cage. I have no visibility. Second game, same thing. But over the course of the two or three weeks, I stopped even realizing the face cage was there. It just becomes invisible after a while. And I recommend anyone that wants to try a face cage because maybe they like to freedom block or reclad, or maybe they're just gotten a mount to the face like I have before. Like just stick with the face cage for a solid month before you make your mind up. Because sometimes it just takes time to acclimatize to that new vision of having that bar in front of your face. And you know what? Maybe to speed that up, do other activities with it in front of your face. I don't know. I'm kind of a nerd. So I would definitely put on my face cage and like watch TV. But yeah. that might just be me. When you're doing your, when you're doing your swifting. Put on yeah, the face my swifting cage. with the face cage. <laughs> that'll be unbearable. It's already yeah. too hot when you're swifting in your apartment. But oh god, yeah. Something I want to bring up though is that we can do a lot of these protective pads and equipment to keep us safe, but there's also rules changes that could keep us safe. And I know we've seen that already. I think living in this post like obstruction rule or interference rule now, as it's called, world. The game is very different. I've been watching a ton of Mr. Do videos lately, and it's 100% different. We don't have lead blockers anymore, which causes less contact, causes less toppling and less crashes. And so the game's already become much safer, although be it, I think, a little bit faster. Can we think of any other rules changes that we'd like to see, or have we already gone too far with the safety rules? I I mean, (laughs) the number one rules thing that I think... I always complain about is this sort of this charge block, like the idea of like the whale tail and like the T-bone. Like if, if I whip, if I'm a defender and I like whip my back wheel in front of you and plant it on the ground and you ride into it, it's so unclear, like who's at fault and how things get called. And like, I, I understand why that's a play. Like strategically it's very good. And the players that are able to do it at a high level are really good at it. Like it's a good strategic play personally i would like to see it phased out but i don't know what the rule change to make that happen would be like i think that's a that's a discussion for nah and for the the european um sort of elite players like i don't know how to fix that but that's the biggest thing like it's so hard when there is contact between the person that has a ball and the defender that's covering them like just figuring out like how how much is a defender allowed to move 
to try to take someone's line. And it's it's tough to say. Like, there's no. I don't think we have a really clean clear answer right now. But the way it is, I think that's where most crashes that happen in polo happen when a defender's moving to try and stop someone from driving past them. Yeah, and it's an interesting piece of this because it, I always liken this rule to a charge block in basketball, right? Yeah. Because it's very similar. If the defender in bike polo is not moving, or even if they are moving, and their wheels are both on the ground and you run into them from the side or perpendicular to them, that's a T-bone on you whether you have the ball or not. Yeah. But if their wheel's in the air because they've just endo-turned, you have free reign to hit them because that's on them to get that wheel down, right? Yeah. And it's kind of the same in basketball. If their feet are planted and they're square to you, it's a charge. But if their feet aren't planted and they're kind of sliding in at the last second, it's a block, which is a penalty on the defender who's trying to slide in there. And the interesting thing in the basketball is, though, is if the offensive player has begun to gather, like to get ready to take their layup, they're in the final three steps, and then you slide in, it doesn't matter if you're set by the time they hit you. You have to be set before they even begin that layup maneuver. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. We don't have anything like that in bike pull, but that allows basketball to have like a half second of delay, which is useful, I think, for the refs in some cases. Definitely. Even though they still make terrible calls all the time. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, to, to, but to be fair, like, in all seriousness, to be fair to bike polo referees, like the NBA with, you know, more advanced rule like uh with a more complicated rule and replays and three or four professional refs and all this other stuff like they still struggle to make these calls i think from a safety perspective it doesn't really matter what the what the call on the play is it's it's whether or not we're encouraging contact and i and i think you can see that things have gotten like there's less contact it's even now when you watch like high level polo some of the things i'm seeing people get penalties for i'm like that's a that's a hard but clean hit. And it's like, yeah, don't hit people that hard. Like sometimes just if you hit someone, even if it's shoulder to shoulder and your elbows in, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, that's a clean hit. Like that's just good defense. But like, if you rock someone's world off their bike, you know, you might just get a, you might get a 30 second penalty for just being, for just hitting them too hard. And honestly, it's not a bad thing. I don't hate it at all. And one other thing I'll say about rules, but it's not necessarily rules, but if you're a tournament organizer, there's a lot you can do to prevent injuries. And I think we as clubs and tournament organizers need to think about this. What is the environment we're playing in like? Are there sharp edges on the court? Is there exposed chain link at bar height? All these things play a factor, right? And if you just take a quick scan around your court before the tournament or before the pickup session, just pick up any loose odds and ends. Make sure that sand in the corner is gone. That's all key. Also the bikes too. I remember the first, I think it was the first fall ball and they were like, oh, you got to tape up your... I had the flip-flop hub and they're like, you got to tape up the, uh, the fixie cog on the other side. Yeah. And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. And then over the years I heard the story about the, I think it was Cran- Joe Crandall, like the, how, you know, that sort of came to be. So obviously that was a freak accident, but it's like, you know, if we had removed or didn't have that in the first place, it would have been, uh, yeah. Cause those exposed chain cogs for those that don't know about this injury, they're basically saw blades when they're turning quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And if someone falls <laughs> into it at speed, it's uh, devastating to say the least. And even uh, exposed V mount, like V V sorry, V mount exposed uh, V brake posts. Mm. They're usually pretty round and they're not particularly sharp, but like they stick out at such a weird angle. And if someone's falling onto the back of your bike, they uh, they tend to work more like a hole punch rather yeah. than a core uh, sample yeah. or bar bar ends, ends you know make yeah, sure bar ends, ends are in. yeah 
I mean, there, there's stuff I for NAs like they do. I think for larger polo tournaments, they do proper like bike safety checks, you know, uh, rotor guards and bar ends and, you know, nothing. Well, I think that's because it makes sense at those venues because it's going to be fast physical play. Not to say it shouldn't be done, like shouldn't be done at other tournaments. Like if it's maybe like a fun shuffle tournament where it's like, you know, whatever, um, you're not too worried about. Yeah, you gotta bikes, you gotta but... put those uh, mini bikes through uh, <laughs> through proper safety screening. Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely. Sure all I think up to snuff. I think honestly, at a tournament, you should just take the time to do that safety screening, regardless. Yeah. So the last thing I want to touch on, as far as injuries are concerned, is more about these repetitive strain injuries, like the one I talked about with the Quavon syndrome or tennis elbow. We talked a bit about this, but what kinds of things would you recommend, both you ho- experts? to help people reduce the frequency and the duration of these kinds of injuries. Well, you know, as a physiotherapist, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any. Like, I, I, feel like we should, I feel like we should maybe put that disclaimer out. Like uh, we are not qualified. Like we're not experts in this. So don't. Uh, yeah. Well, I think uh, if we were a physiotherapist, they would say behavior, modify the behavior, which essentially means stop doing it. Yeah. Stop playing polo. Don't, <laughs> well, uh, don't get hit. Don't, yeah. yeah stop stop mallet stop stick handling stop holding a mallet like that never gonna happen i mean i think when it comes to repetitive stress injury like from what i understand which as we just said is maybe not that much but repetitive stress injuries were super common uh in esports like for pro gamers biggest thing that i heard from a lot of people with that is it's it's all about being preventative like you can accomplish so much if you're somewhat preventative like if you if you're just like changing up your action, you're not doing like just the same thing over and over again. Or if you're starting to get symptoms, like don't let it become a fully blown repetitive stress injury. If you start to notice something like I was saying about my hand clicking, like take it seriously, look into it. Absolutely. And I think my worst strain injury was from that Dequavon's wrist kind of thumb injury. And I first started noticing the symptoms the week before we played Halloween. Halloween six. <laughs> and so I was like, didn't play pickup that week. Very light week. I was trying to rest it because I knew we were going to be going to Grand Rapids. But then sure enough, on Saturday, my thumb is like super swollen and I can hardly hold on to the mallet. So that night that, yeah. I'm like icing my thumb and taking Advil Saturday night because we've been playing really well. And Sunday we had a deep run and I remember it just throbbing on the drive back from Michigan and it hurt until like april that year because i didn't listen to it and i just messed it completely up and i had to get physio for it and all these things right so it really is about listening to your body and if you feel something doesn't feel right ease off because you know you might sacrifice an hour of polo today but that might save you three months of polo down the line and that's something we got to think about right be calculated with that stuff yeah i mean i definitely uh didn't do the right thing with my injury uh, <laughs> this is very much do as I say, not as I do. I was in a splint and I was still, I was still like, yeah, I can play, you know, it's my break hand, so it's fine. And, um, I don't think that did me any favors, but that's not, that wasn't really a repetitive injury. I think, uh, in, in, yeah, the repetitive injury, I mean, I've had them not from polo, but from working and stuff like that. Like I used to work on farms and I worked in warehouses and stuff. I mean, it's, I think, yeah, a matter of, uh, well, being able to like, adjust your position and 
I mean, it's hard when you're on the bike because you're kind of forced into this. There's lots of things you can do though, as far as playing along around with mallet length. I think, well, well, I think also stretching, um, is a big thing. Um, not that I do it that much, but well, in those work situations, I definitely got into stretching more and making sure I stretched, uh, like, especially when I was working on the farm, because you're, you know, bent over all day. Yeah. And doing repetitive motions. Um, yeah, I made sure to to stretch more. I mean, something I know polo players have to be really careful of, um, like we do an asymmetric sport where one of our arms is all it, always on the handlebar and one of our arms is always doing on the something. mallet, right? And you, 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 you know, we should be trying to do something uh, off the bike to try to compensate for that. Like it's actually pretty common for me that I will stick handle on the bench with my left arm, even though... I don't play with that. I just want to like at least do some semblance of, uh, of balancing those muscles out. I'm the worst for this. I am my hamstring and calf on my left leg are just like twice as flexible as my right. Like I can easily touch my toes on my left side, but my right side, I'm like getting halfway through my shin. And it's just because when I'm playing polo, I'm left-handed and I'm always reaching for the ball and bending over and recliding and these things. And it adds up. Like it's definitely made a massive imbalance. I've also noticed because I've been starting to do a bit more exercise and weightlifting. When I'm doing one-legged squats, my left leg, which is my front forward leg and polo, easy. No problem. My right leg, my front back leg, my leg, my back leg and my polo position. <laughs> Dude, are you a center? <laughs> yeah no 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 i'm right back like but the back like you know when your pe- pedals are at nine and three right my back my right leg's the one in the back and so it doesn't push down at the start of my pedal stroke it's much weaker and i can only assume that's from hundreds of pedal kicks you know what i i actually like four years ago started to notice the same thing and made the conscious effort that whenever i commuted on my bike i made a point of trying to start off of like stoplights with whatever felt the least natural. So like if starting with my left leg forward felt less natural for me than starting with my right leg forward, I just like made a point during commuting to always try to do that. And then when I do, when I do drills, like when I solo polo, every single drill I do, I do it with both one leg. I do it with uh, right leg forward and I do it with left leg forward. I do both, both ways because I'm just so paranoid that I'm going to, I'm going to mess myself up. Yeah, I just I do that same thing with the drills as far as doing both feet forward now and wheelie turns from all starting from all different positions on my pedal stroke because if I'm caught, that's a like a third of a second, you know, that to rotate my cranks to do the move. So I want to be able to do them from wherever I am. But with mountain biking, what I've done is I've started riding right foot forward when I'm descending. And it was super awkward and janky at first, but it really helps me if I have like a quick uphill portion to get a half crank in. And then I can stay in my position and then get another half crank in. I can fluidly switch back and forth. It's just a pro. But these are small things that can make a big difference with your performance and your overall health. To your health. To your health. Let's move on to what that other segment. We're so lucky to have you back this week for this. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's only one email. So it's time for the mailbag. Yep. Mailbag. So uh, this comes from our trusty friend, Justin Matheson. And he writes, what's up? Podcast people just finished the interview of Bruce, and I've got to say that was a long but informative listen. He's got some really good advice and takes on the game and slash sport. It may come as a surprise to someone I say that he's right about big rips, overrated and virtually uncontrollable in every way, but satisfying if you're just trying to blow off steam. 
I'm a little jealous about teams that travel and practice together for tournaments. Recommend that new players that want to evolve better in Polo find a group to evolve with. Also, big shout out to Ottawa's newest trader. Liam is now banned from Mallets of Mayhem for life. Hey, welcome to the club. Hey. Oh yeah, were you um, banned as well? I don't think I was ever banned. I, I was never I was never accepted. I've never been considered oh, part of well, Mallets of Mayhem. You I'm left sure he's soon. kidding. And you had that pink bike, Alex. <laughs> Rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, I'm just messing around, of course. I, I also listened to that. I wasn't there for that interview, but I listened to it. It was a really good interview. He he definitely did have a lot of interesting takes. I think what I liked was his talk about how the stuff that's going to make you win is the boring stuff, you know, like the fundamentals. And I'm like, that's so true about every sport, you know, like any sort of like we all want those big glory moments and showy things. But it's like that's not the stuff. That's the stuff that's cool. But if you want to win, it's like that's not what's going to get you there. The perfect example is like if I said who's the flashiest, like most ball, like craziest player, it's probably Morgan is in the top three of most people's lists. But if you look at what Morgan does 90% of the time, 99% of the time when he's on the court, it's not flashy stuff. It's sitting in net, it's rotating, it's drop passes. Like, yeah. Drop pass. I mean, if you look at the Beavers, like one of the most, um, like just successful bike pool teams ever, they have, they're really good players. So you watch a lot of those Mr. Do videos. They have solid shooting, solid ball position. They can receive passes like it's nothing. But like it's all three of them that are just consistently really good at all those basic things that stitch a team together. And they don't do many endo pivots, you know, a couple here and there, maybe from Hafferson. But, uh, you know, they're just solid. And there's so many amazing teams like that out there, like More Sugar, for example, right? Diego said the same thing when he was on. And that's really good stuff. Team cohesiveness is a huge part of that success too, though. And I think that's what Justin's getting here when he says he's really jealous about players that have had a team they consist consistently play with. It's one of the biggest struggles in bike polo is finding a crew that you get along with and that are at a similar skill level to you and you can really gel with. It's hard. And then sometimes you start a podcast with them and they don't want to pass and they make you stay in net. It's just right. the worst. Right. That happens sometimes too. And then you move to Montreal out of spite. Yeah, and become the hey, biggest yeah. trader. <laughs> he only clued in. We were talking about him then. Huh? <laughs> no, no, I was listening. Oh yeah, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll say to Justin. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. It's finally come to me, but uh, I'll be back now and then uh, to play some Paolo. I would love to see. Like, I know we we've had a big influx of uh, new players over the last two years, and I think a lot of a lot of the new players are not, they're not new players anymore. They're getting pretty established. And I think they're, they're all, uh, they're getting their tournament legs. And I would love to have some like established North sides rosters. Like I know we're, we're doing the thing with our tournaments now that you, you have to play with people you haven't played before, but at some point it would be really cool to just get everyone to cement a couple, a couple rosters, a couple teams and like, I think it'd be I think it'd be awesome. North North Sides is a it's going to be a different landscape when all the dust settles for sure. I I can't wait to see it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's time. I, there's enough talent in North Sides that have been coming up the past two years, three years, that if we can just find some cohesive units that play together consistently, I mean the sky's the limit. NAs watch yeah. out. World get, get that get out. that team chemistry down. You know, we got that chip on the shoulder. Exactly. Yeah. More than one, I'd say. Anyways. uh, 
That was a great email. Thank you, Justin, for sending that in. If you want to write an email to us too, and you'd like us to read it on the air, email us at Northsides Polo Pod Northside Polo Podcast at gmail.com. That's Northside Polo Podcast at gmail.com. We also accept DMs on our Instagram. We'll read their questions on the air and we'll talk about them and you can get a bit of clout in your local club. So do oh, it. Yeah. Last thing. Last thing for the day. Beer point. Beer point. All right. So today for the beer point, we have a we have a, a new segment, which I'm I'm gonna call it uh, hashtag rep report because we have a in the flesh actually. This is the first in the flesh interview I've done. Um, we have Neilan, our NAH representative here. How are you doing, Neilan? I'm good. <laughs> so the reason we wanted to have Neilan back on the show, you'll probably remember we had him on earlier, like episode 18 or something. I think it was earlier than that, maybe. On this Liam's neighbor. Yeah, we're now neighbors. <laughs> we now actually have representation on the podcast Montreal, <laughs> Ottawa, and yes. Toronto All the major, major clubs NH, yeah, better geographical representation But I wanted to chat with Neilan Because uh, Neilan just came back from a pretty cool polo escapade that he did um, Where you went down to Florida That's right Yeah Hit up two clubs Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even supposed to be a polo escapade my friend was just getting paid to drive a car for this like rich woman from Ontario to Orlando. And then at the last minute, she was like, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then I realized there was that tournament in St. Pete and I tried to make it in time, but yeah, the snowbird. Yeah. Well, I thought I was going to make it, but then it was a Saturday. It was a Friday, Saturday tournament, not a Saturday, Sunday. Oh, weird. Yeah. So we kind of like, you missed the bulk of the action. We got there for semifinals and pickup, which is the best part anyways. Yeah, that's nice. all that matters. How was the Snowbird tournament? Uh, I'm pretty sure Diego won that one too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Continuing the win. But like all the semifinals and finals were like crazy fun to watch. Really good. It seemed like I thought I wasn't going to know anyone there, but we got there and it was like tons of players from Midwest that I've met in like Michigan and Hello Meme and stuff. Yeah, so that, I think that's it, like, the best part about polo. There's like tons of people came down from like northern states for it. Brett from St. Louis. He's like all the teams are like extremely strong. Yeah, it's, it's a, a strong, strong, strong region. That sounds like a really good time. It was good weather too, which yeah, you could like, say just, can't say the same about Halloween. <laughs> it was like 30 Celsius in Florida. It was yeah, like I mean, if you want to play more polo, whoa, that's hot. That makes sense. It's a place to be. I know, but how hot is it in the summer? I, I feel like it's not that much hotter. So. Neil, and what was the vibe like at this tournament? Um, was there anything that stood out to you? Um, I mean, just like the quality. I remember like some of the teams, like I asked people like whose team they were on and it would just be like these like insanely stacked teams. And I'm like, oh, so you're still in. They're like, no, we went out. Like we like, finished seventh or something. Like, <laughs> and I think all the teams must have just been like insanely good. Well, it just felt like people were really stoked, especially like from the North, like to be playing I don't know if they play in the Midwest, depending on the city, like all winter, but... Yeah, maybe. Well, <clears throat> they probably need an indoor spot. That's something I've noticed looking around at some of the tournament results from this past year, 2020 in particular, um, is that it seems like people are traveling a bit more to tournaments, and that's making tournaments, like, a lot more competitive at the top, right? Like, when we look yeah. at the Commonwealth Classic this year, or the, you know, this tournament in Florida, in St. Pete's, it, it seems like players are going all over the United States to play in tournaments and it's making for some really spicy games. I think there was also like a huge group of players who went to like 
maybe the Mankato tournament, then Boston, then Halloween, then like Austin pickup or something. Yeah, like a bunch that was, of people that was definitely to, like, Diego's move, from what I can recall. Even Halloween, I think, from when we when we did in 2019 to this year, there was a big. Well, I guess last year now, <laughs> I think it was a lot more intense this year. Well, probably because it was the last one though, like the the last one in the Belmont Park. I suspect that the pandemic had a big impact, right? Like in the spring, there wasn't really a lot of tournaments going on. So all those polo people were just saving their pennies. And yeah. when per- tournaments started opening up in that golden era in the fall there, where it seemed like things were a little safer, um, people just went nuts. Yeah, they're just like, oh shit, I miss polo. Of course, <laughs> we, we all miss polo. So then after this tournament, you got to hit up, so that was in St. Saint, uh, Saint Pete? Yeah. In Florida. Then you got to hit up Gainesville. Well, like that night... Uh, I guess we just hung at the polo court super late, like playing pickup and drinking, and then met someone named Eli, and they were like, "Yo, we might play pickup in Gainesville tomorrow, and you should come crash at my house." So we did that, which was sweet. Gainesville is a really sick club. It's like really DIY and like yeah. fun. I've, I've seen a lot of pictures from their court. They have like low boards, and it's kind of like an interesting kind of setup. Hey, eh? how can you describe it to us? They have one in like Tom Petty Park because I guess Tom Petty is from Gainesville. <laughs> oh, cool! That's sick. That's cool. And uh, it's like uh, they have these weird outdoor squash courts or something. And then so the one side is like a wall from a tennis court or something, and the other side is a wall from the squash courts. And then it's just like a really low boards that they set up every time on either side behind the nets. But apparently, they also play in a parking garage, which is really fun. I would have I was yeah, also playing in a parking garage, and uh, I can confirm it was pretty fun, though I feel like the parking garage that I was playing in is probably a lot crappier than the one they would have down there. <laughs> yeah, Mostly because it was that. all like full of slush and salt, <laughs> the one that I was in. I think Gainesville's having a shuffle in February. Yeah, they are. The, the bikini, bikini shuffle, I think it's uh, February 23rd. I'm not sure. I should the know. Bikini rock, I the that. bikini rock bottom shuffle? Yeah, Bikini Rock Veterans Memorial Park, Gainesville. <laughs> so not Tom Petty Park. I might, I might have the, the post right in front of me. Oh, that's convenient. And uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, but I guess you don't really know, is what's happening at NAH this year. What's going on with the tournaments? <laughs> yeah, Liam, let us know. I'm still waiting to get added to the Slack. Speak to the people. Whoever's in charge of NAH, <laughs> you need to add Neil into the Slack. Uh, we need representation at these. We don't know what's going on. Yeah, we don't know what's no taxation on. without representation. Yeah, goddammit. <laughs> I'm tired of playing those NAH dues. I think <laughs> to Gavin every year. He says it's going to a good cause. Yeah. <laughs> or it's going to Neil, and that's right. This doesn't happen. There's no dues that make anyone pay. Well, uh, thanks, Neil, for joining us on the first ever uh, hashtag uh, rep report. If this is well, if this is well received, we might have to have you back. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know if I want to talk about it. Sure, you do. You got to speak to the people, man. Wow, so nice of Neiland to make some time for our lowly podcast. I'm sure he is extremely busy with all of his administrative duties at the NAH. You know, as the Northside rep. He probably has a lot of matters to oversee, decisions to make, balancing (laughs) of budgets. And we're just so thankful that he makes time for us regular folk, you know? We are in great debt. (laughs) Great debt to him. Anything else you want to say this episode, guys? I am just so excited for this new bike. (laughs) Like it it has been it has been like sitting in the living room, 
since it arrived and i just keep like every time i walk through like i make a coffee in the morning i'm like i see it i look at it i smile i like touch it a little bit and then i and then i go on with my day and i'm just that much happier so i am just so excited we need a time lapse bike build video with stylized shots and overhead views and these things can you make that happen for us alex uh well i actually can't i dropped it off with cam because he's gonna do a lot of the build but uh we'll see we'll see what uh what we can do i just don't have the tool i just don't have the tools at my house you know i'm sure we can at least get a photo yeah for sure let's get a photo of this thing please i don't know when it'll be done but it'll be great all right well that wraps it up here remember if you're still playing polo out there in this time of year you're one of the lucky ones and we're all incredibly jealous of you yes until next time bye for now bye Bonjour. Au revoir. <laughs> <laughs>